Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Andre Carlisle of Diaspora United and Black and Red United. How's it going, Andre? It is going well. Uh, already been an interesting day. So, uh, yeah, exciting. <laughs> we got, I guess, I mean, lucky, I suppose, uh, on recording day, we we got the <laughs> the roster, which I'm not sure we were totally expecting. We were expecting June rosters, though it makes sense to kind of name your July roster a month out. It gives you that flexibility. I think that it gives players peace of mind. But we got both the June U.S. Women's National Team friendly rosters and the Perspective 23 for World Cup qualifying in July prompted a lot of discussion already um, and we will get into it the best that we can. So I think the way I want to start is I'm going to list the roster and we're just going to talk about sort of the names that we do see on there and we'll provide context as to like some of the absences and stuff like that. But I want to start maybe just talking about how we think this team stacks up as a soccer team to go play first against Colombia and then in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. So starting with our goalkeepers, I believe this is all alphabetical, so don't read too much into the listing. Um, We have Aubrey Kingsbury, Casey Murphy, and Alyssa Nair. Uh, Defenders are Alana Cook, Emily Fox, Naomi Gurma, Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Emily Sonnet. Midfielders are Lindsay Horan, Taylor Korniak, Rose Lavelle, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. Forwards, Ashley Hatch, Alex Morgan, Mallory Pugh, Midge Purse, Megan Rapino, Trinity Rodman, and Sophia Smith. Now, the additional players for June friendlies, uh, one defender, which is North Carolina's Carson Pickett. Yeah. Midfielders, two young number sixes, Sam Coffey and Jalen Howell. So for you, Andre, with the understanding, let's talk big absences, right? Uh, we know that Abby Dahlkemper, Sam Mewis, uh, Crystal Dunn, Julie Ertz, Lynn Williams, Katerina Macario, all unavailable. That's pain. a big deal, right? Whole lot of pain. Whole lot of pain. And I and I am actually in this moment, we'll talk about the context later, in this moment, including Kristen Press as well. She's mm-hmm. not available for this. Now, we'll we'll talk about the rest of it later, <laughs> we'll but it there. is just true. It is It is strictly true that she cannot be selected at this moment for this roster um, because she was on that provisional list of, of 59, right? What do you think overall of this group? Does it seem like a decent group, a, a mix of veteran leadership, players in their prime, young players? Would you like it to be younger? What are your thoughts? Oh, well, I'm, I'm always here for a youth transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that, that honestly, that's the biggest thing for me with Kat being unavailable. Um, mm-hmm. It just really felt like she was going to be the star. We saw what she did for Lyon. We saw what she did for the U.S. Women's National Team recently um, when she was with the team. So like that part of it is frustrating. But I mean, going through some of those names that you listed, just so many interest in, injuries and didn't even mention like Tierna Davidson and Morgan. Gattrall, oh, that's right. You know, and I just so... missed. Yeah. Right. There's so many that I forgot. How can I forget about Tierna Davidson? <laughs> I mean, you know, I wasn't going to call you. Kick me out of <laughs> but, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like, I, I was so sad. Like, wow, this team could be so much stronger. Yeah. But also look at how strong it is. Right. So, so there's also that aspect of it. So I think it is quite good. You know, I obviously would like to have seen some more names on it. Um, I think it is, surprising that Mitch Purse got there because mm-hmm. of the season Gotham is having, but I love that. Um, yeah. So I am glad that that happened. 
Um, so overall, I think it is a strong group, although I still don't think, I mean, with the injuries, it possibly can't be as strong as it normally would be with, right. with everybody fully fit, but it does make things quite intriguing for July. It sure does. Yeah, no, it's true. It's just simply true. And I don't think it's a disservice to the players on the roster that this is not what we all hoped and dreamed for. Right. Um, right. Even outside of perhaps the, the, absences that we knew about before the beginning of 2021 we knew julie ertz was out we knew crystal dunn was out like those those we were prepared for it's the added attrition of like a tierna davidson and a katarina macario um and just not really getting positive news about sam Mewis and uh, those kinds of things i think you start to wonder just how far down the depth chart can we go before this team is no longer uh the vision of what we want it to be. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we found out about Macario's injury. Um, so let's just go line by line. Let's go line by line goalkeepers. Now this is interesting to me for two reasons, actually one being that it really, I, I don't think Andonovsky, forgive me if he was asked about this today, 80 French, not really part of the conversation anymore. I don't know. You know, she took some time off from the team last year. Um, said, you know, he said the same thing that he said about a lot of other players that she was in the mix, Seems like they're doing kind of a hard cutoff after Nair and going younger. Is that kind of how you're reading it? Yeah, it definitely seems so because I think Jane Campbell also falls into that group right. as well. The, both of those, like AD French and Jane Campbell, have been great uh, in the NWSL. And yeah. not to say that Kingsbury, uh, Nair, and Murphy haven't. Um, but yeah, it does seem to be an age thing, even though Kingsbury, I think. I should I shouldn't say because I should. Know no, I know she's I'm, she's like thirty. She's close. Yeah, right. I know. She's close. Yeah. So I was gonna say yeah. it's an age cutoff, but she she just, yeah. she turned thirty last November. So okay. I was like, she's there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, maybe it's it, it is a good point. So maybe, but maybe that's bridging the gap, right? You have Nair, yeah. you have you have Kingsbury, and then you have Murphy. It does seem like the and this is kind of what I expected. They've 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 tagged Casey Murphy, I think, as the front runner yeah. for the role after Nair is done. Um, I will say that I I like a lot what Alyssa Nair has done this season. I don't think she has done anything to warrant losing that spot, considering the international experience that she has. Um, I also just think that she specifically with Chicago, um, we saw this this weekend. She has had to corral very young group in front of her for her club team. And yeah. so that experience, even just this year, I do think is really important as the U S is getting their defense set again with someone like Tierna Davidson out. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, I just some think incredible saves. Yeah, no, she <laughs> looks she genuinely looks great. Yeah. yeah I, I have Talk no, no complaints. It's one of those things and- where it's like, you know, maybe if, if she was not already the established U S number one, we could have this discussion, but the fact that she already is and looks this good, I get it. Um, and then right. Bringing Murphy in after she kind of had a slow start to her club season due to injury, but she's been playing consistently now. And so, yeah, I, I have no issues with this group. I think that there are a couple young keepers that should be in the conversation, maybe even for next year, if there are injuries or possibly the next cycle or the, the Olympics in 2024, but for now, I'm good with this. This makes sense to me. Moving on to defenders. Now, this it, it's we're, it's an interesting place that the defenders are in, right? They lost two starting center backs with Dahl Kemper and Davidson. But it's still a pretty strong group, right? Naomi Gurma yeah. looks just as good as everyone thought she would be. Um, Alana Cook has been very, very steady for OL Reign. Becky Sauerbrunn has done nicely for Portland upon her return still seems fine, right? They seem good to get through the stretch center back, Royce, right? 
Yeah, I think so. And and that's really credit to Naomi Gurma for really stepping up. You know, yeah. it's it's been wild because whenever we talk about rookie of the year, you know, you think about like Sam Coffey and you think about Elise Bennett and then you almost forget like, oh, yeah, Naomi Gurma. <laughs> she she like feels starting like a every single game. Already. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. So incredible. So yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I love to see that she stepped up and looks so comfortable. Alana Cook's been great um, and glad to see Becky come back. So, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those wild things. It's like embarrassment of riches, but uh, we got it. So. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because Gurma did not really get fast-tracked with the U.S. She yeah. she did not get called in super early, like before her professional career started. Um, when she did get called in, she did not get a ton of playing time. Um, Andonovsky really trusted, like, she will come through club and it will work. And it seems to have worked that way. Um, yeah. It's the kind of thing that can backfire, right, especially with the... Um, high uh standards that the u.s holds for itself especially in game time and she is going to probably get game time that she's never had before during this stretch but she looks ready for it and so that does seem like a bet on a club coach that he trusted in casey stoney a player that he trusted to come along and just she's ready for this i think trinity robman is another example of that yeah um so moving on well well let's look at outside backs actually a little bit too so famously in the last five years or so, outside back has not been a position of strength for the U.S. We have new faces, right? Obviously, Crystal Dunn is not in the conversation this year. Um, probably, should, I mean, hopefully not in the conversation in the future, too. Um, but it's, I think when you look at that positioning, we have Emily Fox, who has been very, very good for racing Louisville. Sophia Huerta, who's been very good for all rain. Kelly O'Hara, who I believe has also been very good for the spirit, though she is dealing with a little bit of hamstring tightness. So I don't know how much she'll be available. Um, and then you have Emily Sonnet, who is kind of like the catch all, right? She's the person who can probably play a bunch of different positions in training, which is really mm-hmm. important. She brings a level of intensity. She's good in space. Seems like a bit of a utility training player almost I don't know what's your read on Sonnet's place in this group yeah I think so and it's it's almost a detriment to her because I think if she had been played more exclusively as a center back for longer than than what, what was happening when Chris Ward took over uh, at the Washington Spirit you might see a better transition in there and like you, we did mention however the, you know the center back group is deep right but I think at a moment like this you well, might it's much see... shallower than it used to be right <laughs> exactly yeah. so like you might see that and and that honestly, is her best position. So outside back looks good to me as far as the starters. And I'm, I'm looking at Emily Fox and Sophia Huerta as the starters. Um, Kelly O'Hara, especially coming back with hamstring tightness, she did right. make an appearance, but it, it almost was like an appearance to say, hey, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, it's, I'm a little bit, it's a little bit of an appearance <laughs> to be like, don't yell at me when I'm on the roster. You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can, I can run. I'm fine. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, so but beyond that, we'll see. I mean, Emily Sonnet has been very, very good our mm-hmm. partnership with Sam Staub uh, yeah. in the back. So I like that a lot. Um, really the only negatives are those two goals with Carolyn and Kristen press kind of doing the same thing. But yeah. apart from that, she's been very solid and especially I, I like her, her ability to move the ball up the pitch. That's really, really important for the spirit plan. I think it's going to be important for how I expect the U S women's national team to play as well. Yeah. And I think it's also maybe, I mean, I could be wrong. It's, it's non-controversial to me, at least to say that Andonovsky has, has pegged both Sauerbrunn and O'Hara as important leadership links to the defense. Um, he's been pretty consistent with that this yeah. whole time, even when other players were not in rotation. So if O'Hara can go, 
we're going to see some other, as we move up the, if we, as we move up the positions, we're going to see some other leadership decisions. So it makes sense to me that if she can go, she's going to be on the roster. Um, moving on to the midfield. So the midfield is very attacking. We'll just say that it's a very attacking midfield, which to be honest in, in CONCACAF qualifying might totally work if they want to get into a shootout and they want to win that way. Fine. You know, it's not necessarily always going to be the cagiest game in the world, or they're going to need to be able to unlock defenses that are sitting back sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. So I get going a little bit more attacking with who you have available, relies a lot on Andy Sullivan to be okay though, right? It sure does. And yeah. that has been a concern for both the spirit and now the U.S. women's national team. Right. Um, I hope that she is all right. She came back for a spell. And then I think in the Gotham game, she took a, a knock and was, it was and been out. So what is, what's your take on that? Cause I, I don't know from, from the outside and you might also not know are, are, is the calf and the quad issue related or are they two separate things? They, they seem to be related. It seemed okay. to be one of those things where it, because a couple of players did that on the Spirit roster. And I don't it, really know like what happened. but An they imbalance in one place. Yeah, yeah, causes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, that can be so, more difficult to come back from too. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely can. And so that's where I'm, I'm quite worried about it because she, she has a profile that I think isn't all that common, particularly with the midfielders that are left mm-hmm. um, remaining to be on this, on this squad. So like seeing players like Taylor Corniak, is awesome to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that has been, and I, I gotta say, I was I was absolutely wrong. I was not sure how that was going to work as a midfield in uh, San Diego. Casey Stoney said, "Shut up, I got this," and yeah. I said, "Okay, fine." So now I have to be like, "Okay, fine." She's on the national team roster, and that's incredible. Well, I also think, and I, I agree, I I am so pleasantly surprised by by what Taylor Corniak's been able to do in San Diego. I think this is very well deserved. I think probably the thing that gets her the nod over someone like maybe a Sam coffee. And I'm speculating, but this is maybe my thought is her physical profile and her versatility. So she is someone who has proven that she can be very good with the ball at her feet, but also set pieces, right? Like, I think that there is an element of that, especially in the international game. If you need to get a goal and you need to get a goal right now, you maybe want Taylor Corniak crashing that box, right? And so the fact that she can do multiple things, I think, is probably what makes her so valuable to the team right now. And I that makes sense to me. Um, but you're right that her attributes are different than Andy Sullivan's. Um, and, and so it's more just like if Sullivan can't play, I'm going to say it. You can't stop me. <laughs> Lindsay Horan has been playing in a dual six at Lyon. <laughs> She, she has, but see that, and that's the reason why I, I kind of, it's probably one of those weird things. And I don't know if they had this struggle um, if, as much as I had the struggle internally when they're coming up with the roster. It's right. It's probably why I was looking at, maybe I would give Sam coffee the nod yeah. um, and put her in because I think she is more of a true, like traditional six. Right. Whereas I think, you know, Casey Stoney tried that a bit with Corniak early on. And then when Emily right. Van Eggman got there, she's like, all right, no, now you, you go and do things closer yeah, to goal right. forward that's the role I think has been perfect. Like that's when we've really seen the best out of Corniak. So I am a little concerned that there's really only one true six Iran did it against Barcelona. So like true. that was incredible, but also Amandine Henri was kind of important too. And I don't Very. know. 
Yeah, so. no, it, it goes hand in hand for sure. And I do wonder, I mean, the U S has not played with two sixes in a very long time, Yeah. but yep. in a pinch, maybe you do, you pull someone like Korniak back. You say not today, you're going to sit back a little bit more. Um, but that's kind of like my point a little bit though, is that it's a very, it's a very attacking minded uh, midfield group. Yeah. And it also is going to rely on the center backs to be very, very steady as well. And so I do think that one of the things to watch in terms of the Columbia games is how is that cohesion working? How is the communication between the defensive midfield and the two center backs? How is that spine working from Nair all the way up? Because I think that those are the kinds of things you got to get a shorthand going very quickly in order to make that work when you're, scrambling because they will be occasionally this is not Mm -hmm. going to be a walk in the park by any means um and so that in the international game can really make you look silly if you don't have those lines of communication established so i'm interested in that i have full confidence in sullivan at the height of her powers i hope we get to see her in that role (laughs) me too if if only just for canada that's the one i'm really concerned about (laughs) having to break like most teams aren't going to be able to withstand the attack. Canada can. And yeah. so we're going to have to figure things out 100%. there. And I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, especially if Andy Sullivan is not 100%. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And, and just to remind everybody, you know, World Cup qualifying, top, whoa, I just forgot. How many people, <laughs> is it four slots from CONCACAF or three? Uh, let's see. World this Cup year, right? I think, I think. I think we got I'm trying to read it real quick. Yeah. I think it's four. I think if you, I think if you qualify for the semifinals of the CONCACAF women's championship, you are going to the world cup. That is good odds for the U S it just is, but only one team is going to get a, an automatic Olympic slot. And that's where looking at Canada is very important. Um, I was going to say, that's where the confusion is. I'm like, I I know there's a birth there and there's an automatic here, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But the rest, I mean, the attacking midfield is incredible, right? just scintillating attacking midfield rose lavelle ashley sanchez um you know those those players and it's not just that that they are good it's that they are playing really well and again you talk about like utility players that i think are really important in training and in a certain kind of very specific nwsl sort of grittiness which translates to concacaf well (laughs) i get it i totally do i think that she's an important part to this squad as well um any other thoughts about the midfield? No, I don't think so. I yeah, just, I mean, you know, it's the obvious imbalances, right? Yeah, that's that's really it. Just hoping her hand and her knee is not doing the potato thing. I know. <laughs> maybe I know she's been she's been chilling like on the Sad. beach. So I'm hopeful that like <laughs> healing vibes, healing vibes to Lindsay Horan that right. she's not right. It's so f- not doing the potato thing. <laughs> no <laughs> potato. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the forward line. Um Forward line, we talked about this last week when, when we found out about Macario. Things changed drastically for this for this line when Macario went down. Um, it was full seam ahead, right? Pew, Smith, Macario, Rodman, Sanchez behind in whatever order or configuration, right? Now it's a little bit different. And I do think that again, we're gonna we will talk about Bad Ignacy's call with media in a second, but with the injuries available. This makes sense to me. Alex Morgan has been playing well. She can slip in behind. Ashley Hatch might have benefited from Macario's injury, but that doesn't mean that she can't do all of the things that we've seen her do at both the club and international level. Pew and Smith are written in pen, right? 
with, and then Rodman, either they're going to ease her in having her come off the bench or they're going to figure out a rotation there, but Oh my God, you're 60 minutes into an international match against the U S and they bring on (laughs) Trinity Rodman, you know, like that's good. (laughs) I don't want, I don't want the other controversies to take away just how good some of these players are and how well they're playing right now. Right. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I mean, I know we all got, and when I say we all, I'm including myself because I was maybe the most biggest of sads um, when when I found out that Macario wasn't there because it's like we were so close. Yeah, we knew this transition was gonna happen very soon. You know, we right. got it a, a bit at the She Believes Cup, and it was amazing. And it was just like we're gonna mm-hmm. see this grow this summer. It's gonna be great. And then all of a sudden, last game of Leon season, and yeah. that's it. So it was majorly heartbreaking. But yeah, I mean. Ashley Hatch seems to score every time she's mm-hmm. on the pitch for the U.S. Women's National Team, so that's probably a good sign, uh, a good thing. But, I mean, just Pew's form has just been absolutely incredible. Sophia Smith, incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. I just – it's almost like you put those two up there and any defense is going to struggle. And yeah. not that you don't have to have, like, a nine or anything. Like, you can you can absolutely can. And, you know, Alex Morgan has been in great form as well, even even with the penalties. Uh, she's been in great form scoring yeah. open play goals as well. Uh, but like, it's just those two Pew and, and Smith. And then, like you said, then you have Robin to come on. Like when one of those right. comes off, good luck with that. Right. And purse as well. And I, and I think yeah. an underrated thing about purse is that. So Pew, Pew and Smith are, and this is part of why they play so well with Macario is they're kind of drifters, right? They're very comfortable kind of swapping sides. They're very comfortable moving centrally. They're going where the space is and they draw defenders with them. And frequently, even if they do receive the ball with a defender on their back, good luck to that defender. Right. Right. But purse is, is more of an end line kind of a player and you need that too. And so when you, you talk about the, the way that we want, the attack to be moving to provide space for other players. I think person Morgan together might be a good combo in a game. I think that person hatch, when you do need someone to get in line, send the ball in rather than someone who more naturally drifts inward, it provides true width to the team. And so I agree. I I am happy that Gotham's form has not affected Purse's place. I don't know if the injuries affected that at all for her. Um, Obviously, Lynn Williams is another player that Vladko Andonofsky likes a lot who who is not available. But I think the thing I like about this group is despite the absences, they provide a lot of different looks. And I think that's exactly what you need when you're going to be facing a lot of different kinds of defensive structures in a World Cup qualifying campaign. Yeah, I think you you nailed it there because like the thing that made me so frustrated and, and sad about Macario is just the way those three, you know, Pew, mm-hmm. um, Smith and Macario all operate. Mm-hmm. And seeing that continue to develop just makes me very giddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sounds great. But having said that, you still have, like you mentioned, you st- we have multiple ways to play. We can play yep. with the tr- traditional true nine and like wide kind of winger types, yep. um, as you mentioned, or we can kind of change it up a bit and have um, Pew and Smith kind of do what they do and float in inside. So, and Robin does some of that floating too. She likes yeah. to stay wide, but yeah. she has at times ended up in like nine positions for a spell during, during spirit games. Well, you think, right. If, if maybe, at. right. If purse pulls, if purse, you say, you maybe say you have purse on the right, Robin on the left, right. Purse, mm-hmm. if purse goes end line, Rodman knows that expe- exact space to move into and yeah. her quality touch on the ball. Like, I don't know. I'm talking myself into this. I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, 
it is yeah. that, that's been like that's been the promise and the in the yeah. it, why people like me have been screaming about the transition for a while because yeah. look at this like yeah. look at the talent and variety it's like if you want to stop one thing okay cool we'll just transform and do something else yeah yeah so i i think that you know again just fingers crossed no more injuries we still have a couple nwsl games to get through but um yeah it's a good group okay so now we need to pivot over into well, we got to pivot over into the big topic of conversation. Um, so Megan Rapino is on this roster. I'm going to ask you two questions. Question number one, just looking at names on a piece of paper, does it make sense to you that Megan Rapino is on in this group? With the understanding of who is not available. Well, with, if you add in with the understanding of who is not available, because no, that, I, the, I do mean that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like when, when they dropped the graphic this morning, no other information. You think, yeah. of course, Rapino's next up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. without any words said, yeah. <laughs> anything printed or anything, sure. you're like, I expect that. Yep, yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I think now that we are pivoting over into into some of the context given by, by Andonofsky, um, he said pretty much straight up. He's like, Pino's probably not there to start. She's not there to carry heavy minutes. They have enough wingers to do that. It's because of her experience. It's about the fact that she's gone through World Cup qualifying before. There aren't a lot of players on this roster who have. Um, and and I, so he says it's the experience. And so with what we're looking at, she is the player that I want to have in this group. All right. So now we have to ask the big question, which is a little bit interesting because to me, it's also not a question at all because Kristen Press can't go. Right. But <laughs> but now we're speaking in hypotheticals because of, of some of the other things that were said. And this gets more into the culture, what the culture of the team is right now, what the coaching staff is looking for, all of the little nitpicking details that obviously U.S. fans love to dig into. And I do think it's good to talk about. So Andonofsky confirmed that Kristen Press was not going to be on this roster no matter what. He also pretty much said that Megan Rapino was told back in 2021 that if she can play, she's going. Does that feel like the right approach to you, Andre? You have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it does not. Um, and and. Specifically because we've seen some things change with the with the relationship between the NWSL and U.S. Soccer Federation. You know, there are no more like the, the allocation thing, for, for instance. And we've seen that NWSL performance has become very important. You know, that's how Chrissy Mewis got back into the fold. Sophia Huerta playing yeah. right back because of NWSL performance. And that's been incredible. So, like, you expect that to happen. And for, for that to be the case across the board, if, if that's what's going to happen. Well, and I think also underratedly. Pew and Smith did not get brought along in the U.S. system in the last three years. They did that at club. They were yep. not involved in the Olympics at all. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you're 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 prioritizing that, but then you have this exception made, right? Which I don't really understand for for Megan Rapino. And, and this is the thing: like I like Megan Rapino a lot as a person and as a player. I think she definitely has attributes, and she's been incredible. I mean, the 2019 World Cup is that is one of my favorite things to relive and think about because that team was just so outrageously intense. And part mm -hmm. of that, a lot of that was Rapino and her yeah. energy. Yeah. So like, I do love Megan Rapino, but I just uh, like in the context of this, and, and I also don't understand getting out there with, oh, well, Press was never going to be there anyway. 
like you said, she's injured. You could have just been like, hey, she's right. injured. It she's just not going to make it. To be, you know? right. yeah. yeah. So to like make that distinction while also saying Pino has like an automatic berth. If she's as long as she can run, she's on the team. Right. Seems to be a little strange to me. So I don't really get where this is coming from. And it just leads to a whole lot of questions that I don't think Vladko or anybody from USS, USSF are actually going to answer. Yeah, it is. It is kind of, and it is. And and I think, I think maybe the thing I'll say this, the thing I dislike about this is it forces you into arguments that you don't even necessarily want to have. Right. Like, like you said, I agree. When I looked at the list of forwards and I saw Megan Rapinoe on that list, I had no problem with that. She's very good on dead ball. She's a killer on penalty kicks. Very good at, in the terms of, you know, she was the team captain in 2019, Like I said, she has the experience of doing this. She has the experience of, and and this is actually kind of an interesting one for me. And I think this is a pro and a con, which is that Tokyo went poorly, right? With an overemphasis on veteran leadership. What I'm interested in, and again, this is probably not something we're going to find out until after all of this is over, is what did Andonovsky take away from that? And he certainly obviously sees Rapino as someone who also went through that and learned from it and can help this new group, which I think is a, a line of thinking that I understand, but without being there, it's impossible to say if it's right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I, you know, I, I just think that, and I think also, and this is maybe just sort of a general impatience maybe, which is the, like you said, things have changed significantly in the landscape of U.S. soccer, right? We have literal equal pay now. We yeah. have a new bonus structure for the U.S. women's national team. We have contracts being paid out by clubs, right? Yeah. We had a coach emphasize club play significantly in the last year. And all of the other people that he brought in stepped up, right? Yeah. And so this feels a little bit more like the past. However, you know, I don't know, maybe reject modernity and embrace tradition. <laughs> maybe you do need that one player who carries the legacy of, of the whole group. But I think you could also argue that Becky Sauerbrunn does that as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think I think that like many U.S. soccer decisions in the last 10 years, it's impossible to know what's really going on. We just kind of get glimpses and glimpses inside, right? Yeah, it, yes, and it's even when asked, you know, specifically, right. you know, what 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 does what does press need to do? And you know, he frames it as like outperform, you know, Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh, and it's like well, that's clearly not like the standard that Megan Rapino has held to, right? Because she hasn't played more than forty five minutes in a game so far. And you know, you you look at Kristen Pratt; she's been pr- quite integral, as you would expect, with Angel City and what they do. An attack. And so like, I just, the whole thing is confusing. It's frustrating. It leads to a lot of questions. It makes something that probably should be like an exciting thing. Like it would be great to be talking about specifically like Corniac right. and, you know, Sam Coffey being in the, in for the friendlies, you know, some of the new faces you're going to see the youth revolution is still happening in attack. Right. Uh, and we, we got ourselves excited talking about the, yeah, talking about it. Right. Yeah. Do. Like those right. are the conversations that you would, you would want Yes, I would assume that U.S. soccer would want. Instead, they create this weird mess where you have to ask questions, even though Kristen Press just got injured and they basically could have just been like, 
that was really the reason. So I guess thanks for not lying to us, but also. No, right. I, I mean, they told the truth. Yeah, I, I, it is. It is interesting. And it, I would, you know, I will, I'll put myself on the chopping block here and say on the logic of she has to be outperforming Mal Pugh and Sophia Smith. She's not, I understand yeah. that. Um, but it, it is when you have this other player that she is outperforming just by right. nature of, of having played minutes and she has similar levels of experience. Um, and then you get into sort of the nebulous conversation of like, what locker room attributes does Megan Rapino bring that nobody else can. And some of those are obvious. And then some of them are less so because they're kept inside the locker room. And so I think that that also, um, is just difficult to comment on. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll be fascinated to see how much she plays Rapino O'Hara, Sullivan, even in the Columbia games, I, I think they're making, they are making some culture choices and they're making some, we know what you can do choices. Um, and I hope, I mean, I, I hope, I think it will work. I mean, to be completely honest, I do not, or I certainly hope a world cup qualifying spot is, is not in danger here. Um, but it is more just trying to build an arc to next year. Is that happening? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, with as again, with the emphasis of given the injuries, right. I think, yes. And it's still a very strong squad and we yeah. will see. And there's going to be a lot of experience that like is going to be accrued by some so many of these younger players. That's going to be really, really important heading forward. So like still excited for things, but I just it's so so frustrating. Never just have like a good thing. <laughs> you just always <laughs> yeah, have to have like so that's many questions the, and like what is happening it's like can we just yeah that's everything else team, sucks though, right? can we just have if, this if, right if everyone always agreed on everybody then something's gone <laughs> wrong you know right um yeah it just wouldn't be the u.s so yeah i, I mean I, I think i think i feel pretty good about this group like i said when we went through the names on the page it all seems pretty good to me always a little bit of weirdness coming out of of reporting which is pretty normal um and i think if there's one thing that we've learned and we're getting to know Vladko Andonovsky better as the head coach of the U S women's national team is he doesn't say much. He, he doesn't say much of substance in, in these pressers, which yeah. I, I think is a way to approach it. 100%. Um, <laughs> one way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. any, any final thoughts on, on the U S roster, Andre is okay. Um, well, you know what? I'll just, I'll leave this with you. Is there a particular mm-hmm. player that you're like super excited to see against Columbia in, in these uh, upcoming friendlies of this group? You know, yes, and I'm go- I'm gonna say this because you spe- you specified Columbia, so mm-hmm. like I do hope that Sam Coffee gets a good run out with yeah. the, with the team. I would yeah. love to see that. I would love to see what the midfield looks like with Sam Coffee in it because I've loved what she's been doing with Portland. And also, if I'm being my most honest self at the moment, I would like Andy Sullivan to ease into yeah, this. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Talk about you know, knowing what she can do is just like we and we need you to do it. So yeah. Right. Right. Like, yeah, we, we got you. We good. We yeah. just need your body to be completely yeah. healthy. And I think the Columbia games would be great for some, some, um, some other talent like Sam coffee. You know, we didn't even talk about really Carson Pickett. I think that's no, you're right. And when, when you brought up great. coffee, I, that, that reminded me as well. I think that if she's been tabbed for next player in on the outside back pool, I think that makes perfect sense. Sure does. And yeah. I love, and it's about time, honestly, cause I don't yeah. know if there's like there, the list of, of, of players with a better left foot is very small. And yeah. it's kind of important. Like Emily Fox, obviously, to me, she is the best. Right. And so that is your starting, you know, left back. 
but I think below that you you have to have somebody like Carson Pickett. I think she's been great. Um, well, so I'm yeah. he's really happy to see her called in. And I think not to get into the weeds of one player at the very end of the segment, but um, <laughs> I do think that after after a very strong outside back play in 2021, we've seen a lot of outside backs kind of still figuring things out. We've seen a lot of systems change, right? Some teams are using wing backs. Some teams, you talk about maybe Gotham's form yeah. affecting a player. Amani Dorsey yeah. might have been affected by Gotham's form in this particular instance, um, being truly on the bubble. Um, but Carson Pickett has been excellent. She's been excellent for a number of years. And I think that um, it makes perfect sense that she's the kind of player, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of like a Casey Kruger, right? Where it's like, we yep. know what she can do. We know she can step in and do it in, if necessary. And I think that that it's, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. All right. One final one. And I just want to mention this because I know people are probably wondering, there was one other player that was um, confirmed to have been on would have been on the provisional list and actually would have been in at least the 26 going to Columbia, which is me official. And I know people mm-hmm. were concerned about maybe the internal politics at play when she was not on that provisional roster. Black Mandanowski says that she's hurt. So he says that she is still on the radar, that this is nothing other than just, she can't go. And as we've seen, like with Abby doll Kemper, they're not pushing it actually with, with this world cup qualifying roster. I think they are just saying we have the depth that we have and we're going to use it. Um, but that's another young player that we're not going to get to see in this group. And that's also disappointing because she is someone, again, you talk about, we're talking about, you know, in a year, that might be one of the players that you want to take to Australia, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think she had a, a really solid, good, good first year with Tigres. I thought her decision to go there was, was awesome. I absolutely loved the decision-making and process for that. Uh, and I would love to see more players do it, to be honest. I think that that league is really, really important and really, really, um, you know, on an up and coming level and exciting. So I was, I was really happy to see that. And I was, it was a bit like a bit of a relief to be like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. We are, Cause that would have been radar. concerning, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That would have, that would have maybe made the conversation about the forward line even a little bit more, uh, controversial, but um, we got one out of two. I guess I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh goodness. All right. Well, this has been part one of the Equalizer podcast. We'll. I know we went long on on the U.S. today, so we'll do just a little bit of an NWSL wrap up uh, in part two. So everybody, just stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Andre Carlisle. Please give us a rating and a review. We've been trying to push this a little bit more. It does help people find us. It helps it stay fresh, helps it stay uh, in in people's uh, sight line, which is uh, useful because if we're going to sit down here and spend 35 minutes talking about a freaking U.S. Women's National Team roster, we love it when people listen. So (laughs) please give us a rating and a review. So we're going to switch over the NWSL and and we spent about a solid 30 seconds chatting before we hopped on just about <laughs> how storylines trends it's a little bit muddy right now just a little bit muddy seems like a lot of teams are just holding on until the international break right just to run down the standings maybe to start because we are about a third of the way through the season San Diego and Chicago are tied on points at the top with 15. San Diego does have one more game played than the Red Stars. Portland is in third with 13 points. LA is also in, well, LA is in fourth also with 13. Uh, we have Houston in fifth on 12, Rain in sixth with 10. 
Gotham in seventh with nine. We have four teams on eight points, Washington, Louisville, Kansas City, and Orlando. And North Carolina starting to make up some ground. They're in seventh. They've got seven points now, so they're just one behind that pack in front of them. Um, not a lot of points separating, right? We got eight points between 12th and first. That is not <laughs> that many. Um, felt like this week was a little bit about survival, right? It's just try to get through the game, get what points you can get out of it. And I think there's one more match weekend before the international break and just kind of make it through. Right. That's definitely been the mantra from seeing yeah. from, from many teams. And we've heard in a lot of post games from coaches and players that they're kind of looking at it the same. I know, you know, specifically covering the Washington spirit who have had a ridiculous run of games that has been nonstop since what, like just before May, beginning of May. Right. Um, it's just been unreal. So like, yeah, everybody is just hope nobody gets injured. Nobody else gets injured. <laughs> get us, well, it didn't get us, work, right? We had. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Get, get, we had get some results injuries. if you can, but it also has not worked because yeah. you know, turns out playing every three days, is, it's not for a month. It's not great. Yeah, no, I, it's more players went down this week. We saw Kristen Press go down with a knee injury. We saw Chicago's Kayla Sharples go down with a knee injury. Yeah. Both look pretty significant, which you hate to see. Um, we saw some players kind of get, we got like Christine Sinclair get pulled last minute right before the game. Um, we saw, you know, we're seeing Washington try to rotate as much as possible to try to avoid any significant injury. Um, yeah, I, it seems like it, it's interesting, right? Because, and we've talked about this before about the league's parody. And we're certainly seeing that, right? Um, I thought that the game between San Diego and OL Reign was interesting just in sort of the waves of momentum in that one, eh, pun, pun not intended, um, where San Diego came out really in front in the first half hour or so, and then the rain worked their way back in it and looked very good later in the match. Uh, we saw kind of the roller coaster of that North Carolina Washington match, right? North Carolina goes up to nothing. Washington works their way back to equalize. And then North Carolina wins on a last minute goal by Kaylee Kurtz in stoppage time. Um, Chicago has to fully scramble when Sharples goes down, but they're still successfully able to, to keep Orlando off the board. But that's kind of the thing, right? It's a lot of like, we know we can't control a game for 90 minutes, so we're going to try to control it for 30. And yeah. I think that's what we saw in the context of a lot of these matches, which I guess is exciting. But for the narrative of one per to each particular team, it's not the way they want to be playing, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like we, we've even talked to, you know, Chris Ward about it, you know, the Chicago Red Stars game where it was like, hold on until halftime. Right. And then go for it. You know, he puts on Ashley Sanchez and Trinity Robin at halftime and then goes for it. And it's like you're having to make a lot of weird decisions that you wouldn't necessarily think a team would need to make right. this early in a season. And so I know we've beat the drum about the scheduling and everything else and how bad it's, it's been, particularly with the, you know, Challenge Cup truncating even, even more uh, truncated schedules. So it's just been like it's been a lot, but these are like the impacts of it. This is why it's really difficult to look at the table and be like, okay, we know who are the great teams. Like North Carolina is the bottom. Yeah, they have two games in hand, but they're at the bottom. That team is an exceptional exceptional team. They're not going right. to be at the bottom, but we like looking at it, it's not good that this far into the regular season, we're seeing a table that you can't trust at all. Right. Like normally you get at this point, you get a little something and maybe a team gets hot or makes a move and moves up. But right now it's just a matter of, like you said, surviving and hoping that in the future you're able to pick up those points. But I just like for the spirit, 
some of these lost points are just going to be lost all season. Right. No, it's the thought that I had this week is, and tell me if this makes sense, is that it makes the season shorter. It feels like it makes the season shorter in that. So the season is literally shorter, right? We have a couple, we have a couple fewer regular season games because of the challenge cup. And also because they don't want to go as long as they did last year, which I get, I don't think you should go all the way to Thanksgiving. If you're starting on February 1st, players aren't getting paid enough for that, to be completely honest. Um, But if the challenge cup doesn't matter, kind of right. Cause it's a preseason tournament. It does. And it doesn't. Right. And then now the first between first third and, and, and maybe first half of the season also doesn't really matter because no one can get a foothold. Yeah. Then it starts to feel like your actual regular season is 12 games long. And yeah. that's the feeling I'm starting to have is I'm starting to sit here kind of thinking like, wow, I can't wait for the end of USL season to start, <laughs> you know? And I don't think you want that. I don't think you want that, right? When you're when you're presenting in for the league, it is programming from you know the middle of March to the end of October, right? Yeah, I want to give uh, uh, Jason Anderson a shout out because he's been doing the math spreadsheet guy. Uh, right. Shout out to him <laughs> covering the Spirit. He's now with Pro Soccer Wire, but like he did the math and like the Spirit have played a third of their season in 42 days. That's just yeah. not good. Like, it's just not well, good. It's so, like also, you said, it does really truncate things. It truncates things. And I think maybe when we get into, and we, we also saw some other comments about the officiating and I'm, I'm not trying to harp on it. I'm just trying to report on what <clears throat> yeah. people were talking about, including players and coaches. But um, I think what it does, and we've seen this as well for a number of teams is you have, you have your stars and you have your really incredibly talented players, right. That can still make magic when they're exhausted. Okay. And then you have players who are really good contributors, but when they're tired, they maybe kind of fall off a cliff, like their touch yeah. goes or their yeah. decision-making goes. And so they are, a t- they are a player that can really contribute to a good team performance when they have like the full faculties over their body and mind. But when they don't, they, it become, turns into mismatches. It turns into players that other teams don't have to factor for. And so we're seeing a lot of the game plan being like, okay, shut these three or four players down and that's the whole game. And the teams that win are the teams that have players that can't be shut down. But then it also means that just like in between, in between the boxes in between the 18s in for long stretches of the match outside of those other players kind of elevating, it's just not very good soccer. It it just turns into, we've seen, you know, the games get very physical and they get a little bit disjointed and, um, and, and so it all becomes about the points. And then if it's still this tight, you're like, wait, what are we doing this for? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, a, I mean, it's really collective <laughs> bunch of things that have just made this season already be like, what, what are we even doing? Like, what, what are the measurements? What are we trying to figure out? I mean, thank goodness, honestly, that we have an expanded playoff because <laughs> it's like, if we were trying to base this with oh, like so much of the season four? already gone, yeah. right? Oh, oh my, my god, yeah, yeah, it would be insane. So like, it's it's better, but like, it just doesn't seem like enough was done, enough thought was put in in advance to actually say like, what is the regular season for? What are we trying to do yeah. other than just like have TV shows? And I know that that is also part of it. Yeah, but also like we're trying like this is a league with a with a competitive structure with competition and 12 teams trying to win one thing make it through an entire season and then a playoffs you know there there is 
a lot of built-in intrigue already. And the fact that we're talking like this in the middle of June is probably not what they really wanted. So yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm always wary of like, like it's obvious right now, right? We get it. If right. they had to redo it, you'd like to think that they would redo it differently. But of I'm course. also of the of the mind to say, like, keep pointing at it because right. have you really gotten it? <laughs> right? Well, and I also like, think that we, yeah, and I want to accurately reflect maybe the current frustration. You know, I, this in doing a yeah. weekly show and you do weekly shows too, right? It's it's about reflecting where we're at right now and things yeah. will even out a little bit, right? We are going to have the international break. We're going to have players have a lot more time off in the latter half of the season. I do think teams are going to improve. I think inc- exciting things are going to happen, but I think that it's worth just again, accurately reflecting what we are getting back from coaches and players who have had to, to deal with this, because I think they're hand- I think for the most part, it's being handled very well. I think that there is an element of trust that it will get taken care of, but these players are also going out of their way to say these things. I mean, I think we open the floor in post game to say, you know, what are your thoughts and feelings about this stretch that you've been on or what is your mindset going into these games? But they're saying these things because it's how they feel. And I think it's reflective of, of these locker rooms. And so um, I I think that you just, it's important to kind of take this moment and say, this has been rough. The there's hopefully a bright future ahead, but it's also come at a cost. We talked about all the injuries going into this U S roster. And I'm not blaming all of that on workload because you can't, that's not necessarily always how ACLs work, right? It's just, you don't, it's, there's a lot there, but it is something where if that's how the players feel and that's mentally what they're carrying through this stretch, that matters too. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's worth discussing. And it also just makes it difficult to do game by game analysis a little bit because yeah, Kansas city's win over Gotham was great. It was a really good performance. Um, I thought that North Carolina, obviously the uh, attacking fireworks that they have when they're fully healthy, um, it's indicative of what they're going to be able to do as, as the, uh, as the season goes on Portland, Portland, don't do not count out the Portland thorns, man. They can come at you. <laughs> they can come at you fast. Uh, <laughs> or you've got like the Red Stars, who are maybe the surprise of the season so far outside of the expansion teams. Yeah. But is one injury too many? Their availability report is not improving. Um, and I think that's a good point. And I want to highlight this because I'm not sure we did it on, we've done it on the show yet. And this is maybe the final theme of this is something that I've learned. And this is something that I haven't necessarily thought about because I'm not in a locker room. I'm not training with these clubs every day is when we talk about the availability reports, it seems like it's a little bit of a compounding issue, right? So you have a player like you, people were talking about availability reports, Chicago and Washington, they play themselves. They play each other twice in a week. They both have like eight players out on the AR. Some of those are season ending injuries for Chicago. They have three pregnancies, which rules. Um, But some it's like a calf injury that won't go away or a hip injury that won't go away. And what leaders on both of those teams have said is that if you have some of those either soft tissue or like with a hip, like a joint issue, you can't go from not playing for two weeks into full contact NWSL games, right? You're going to get hurt again. And so there's no way to bring those players back. And so then you have the same players, your, your rosters get much shorter And then 
you don't necessarily have a mechanism to sign other players because we know that you can sign for COVID absences and you can sign for national team absences unless you put a player like on the injury reserve. It, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, so it becomes just, again, just a compounding issue. And I think we saw that with a number of teams. I mean, I, I think that's a takeaway that you got as well, Andre, right? Yeah, I think that is something that we've heard from, you know, spirit coach Chris Ward a lot is that, you know, in addition to, you know, the lengthy availability availability report and how you have so many players out. I mean, I was, I'll pull it up because I wanted to count ahead of North Carolina. They had nine players out um, uh, against North Carolina. And some of those players are, you know, I talked to him before the game and after the game, and some of those players are doing light work, like on their own. But it's throwing them in, even if they can play 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever, like you said, it's not it's not fair and it's not right. And it's and it's negligent because then you'll end up getting them hurt again. So, like, even though you have players that are returning and that could help you, you don't have a mechanism to get them on the pitch because you don't have any training. I think uh, Ward said it'll be over 31 days between training sessions during that stretch that the spirit just got out of. Um, and I asked him, like, are you excited to finally like have a training session next week. You know, they're going to be able to actually like have a regular sort of week. But he said, even, even at that, he still feels like he has to give players a rest and, you know, particularly players that have been playing for a while. So is it actually fair to them to have them also go through grueling training sessions just because you're trying to bring along players that were injured. So like it's creates this whole other issue that we don't see. We only see the product for 90 minutes, but it's so much bigger than that. And it's been rough. It has. Um, so maybe let's, let's, let's add on an up note. Let's add on a positive. All right. We've almost made it. I did. (laughs) I did see maybe in the faces of some red stars, a little bit of relief this weekend. They made it maybe a little bit of relief from the spirit though. I know they were very disappointed in that result. Um, what team are you most excited to see like hit their stride in this middle third of, of the season? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Honestly, I think Kansas City. Yeah. And that's partly yeah. because I've been high on them coming into the season. Things didn't go great. <laughs> we know that <laughs> like Lynn flashes. Williams. And Again, Sydney, I thought that win over Gotham was actually really exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's the potential. I, I like the trade they got to get CC Kaiser and Addison Merrick. So I think yep. those are players that will help them. So I think they're making smart decisions. You know, it's unfortunate that Sam Lewis hasn't been able to play and Lynn Williams whole like hamstring just fell off and that's a problem. So yeah. not good. <laughs> so like you, you would assume that they, they made the moves to be great, mm-hmm. but they're also like still have enough talent to be better than where they are on the table. Agreed. And they're a team that I'm really interested in seeing how it all comes together because I do think when they hit their stride, they are a strong playoff team. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet. But like you said, I think the match against Gotham does give you some hope and to say, oh, okay, now we're starting to see it a little bit. And so I'm, I'm hoping I, I want that streak to come because I think the players have, there's so much good happening around the team, you know, the mm-hmm. training facility, you know, they're rebuilding that stadium and there's been a lot of reporting on the good thing the ownership group is doing, bringing in players who want to play with them, come back to their hometown. That's really cool stuff to be doing. And then you're also, you know, having them jump right. I mean, CC Kaiser jumped right in <laughs> the match yeah. was kind of an important player um, for them as well. So like, I want to see them put it all together on the pitch and have like a run where you're like, yeah, that's the current I thought we would see earlier. And so I, I think I'm leaning towards the current, even though I could have probably said five other teams. <laughs> yeah. There's a number of teams that will be excited to see them kind of hit their stride, but um, I think I'm with you. I'll, I'll agree with that. I, 
signs, the signs are good for Kansas city. I think, um, Yes, they were aggressive again in the transfer market uh, this week, which I think is, again, they are not afraid to spend money to fix a problem. They have made moves to bring players in after players go down, which is not some, that's not a decision that all NWSL teams make. Um, Sometimes they say, this is our group and we're sticking with that till the end of the season. Um, I like their young players. Alex Loera and Elise Bennett are both ballers there's signs of there's like all of these signs of health in the organization kind of throughout. And I think that that is why you just really want them to be at the very least in a demonstrative uh, step up from last year, because at this point it's just starting to feel like luck <laughs> is not on their side. And right, and I don't yeah. think that, that that's fair either. So um, yeah, I'm with you. Kansas city, excited to see Kansas city, North Carolina, Washington, you know, I, I think that there's a number of teams that, that I'm, I'm excited to see, excited to see the rain with Kim little variety of teams, I think will really start yeah. to hit their stride. Um, so this has been a very long episode of the equalizer podcast, but Hey, what a day. Thank you, Andre, for joining me. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and our distributor blue wire podcast. We'll be back with you next week with, I'm sure something else wild to talk about because that's how this works in women's soccer in america thank you andre we will see you all next week